0: Thanks, Paul. Uh, my name's Sam. I'm on staff at the church here. Um, I come here most, most weeks. Mostly I'm in the back uh, running sound and stuff. Uh, but it's good to be with y'all. It's good to be here. There's a lot of familiar faces uh, in the crowd. Um, here are the details. Um, uh, there's an email uh, sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, if you want to do Flocknote, which is our new way of kind of mass texting everyone, you can text I-L to 84576. Next meeting is on April 12th, and you can go to the Iron Leader website and uh, get kind of all the information for stuff you need. Uh, Okay, starting this morning, I just want to ask the question, how can you tell that someone really cares about what they do? That it's really meaningful to them, that they feel like, uh, you know, their work isn't just a job—it's not just something they do to get a paycheck, but it, it's really a calling. Um, let's just watch this video for a second.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: they're
1: going to answer my phone.
0: Oh, stuff gets broken. I mean, you you really tell he cares about what he's doing, right? I mean, so, all right. Sometimes we do. We go to work every week, and we feel like that guy. I mean, even you know, working for the Lord in, in uh, working in ministry for most of my life. There's sometimes when you go into work, and that's how you feel. Uh, You feel like you just want to kind of punch the clock, and there's no real connection, no real meaning uh, to what you do. So what I want to do this morning is to help us as much as we can when we're prone to feel like that, how to not feel like that about what you're called to do for, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, uh, every week for the majority of your life. And most of what uh, I'm going to talk about is coming from this book. That, I mean, is so dog-eared because I've read it a bunch of times. Uh, it's called uh, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City. I uh, read this with a couple of guys that go to Iron Leadership this year, and we kind of met at K&W and talked through it. And a couple of the things I'm going to talk about here, about calling, uh, about uh, finding meaning in work and what God's called you to do, is, um, is really just anything good came from this book. Right, so I didn't make it up. So check it out if you want. Um, How do we, as people, uh, find the right motivation to see our work, whatever we're doing, not just as a job, but as a calling that that relates to God, that has kind of dignity and value? Uh, Really, and the the question is, how do you have leadership where God's called you? Because leadership is all about... um, vision and purpose for the stuff you do, right? A, a leader is someone who has a vision for a for preferred future and they know where things are going, right? So if you don't have a sense of vision, if you don't have a sense of purpose for what's going on, you can't have leadership in it. You're just kind of like caught in the flow. And so the two questions that you really have to ask to have you know, vision and direction, vision and purpose, is you have to know who's placed you, where they placed you. That's kind of the audience question. And why do they have you where you are? So that's the purpose question. Uh, So there's two kind of common audiences that most people have when they think about their job, when they think about their work. Um, And I would say these are two uh, bad audiences, two unhelpful audiences. And you get up in the morning and you think, okay, who am I working for? You could think, I'm working for myself, right? I'm either working in order to... um, get some money so I can kind of uh, entertain myself or rest or please myself or I'm working so I can like look at myself in the morning so I don't feel like a a slob, you know, so I can like feel good about myself, so I have a sense of self-worth or I have a sense of identity, right, because I do this thing or I'm so good at this thing or people see me doing this thing. Uh, What's wrong with that? What's wrong with you being the audience for your work? I mean, it's good in some ways to be kind of internally motivated, right? But the problem with you being the main audience for your work is that you're not very forgiving of yourself, are you? I mean, maybe you are, (laughs) but you don't know how to perfectly forgive yourself. You don't have the right standards for yourself. And in fact, if you're honest, even when you're doing great, you're never pleased with yourself. So not only that, do you not please yourself, and you have a hard time forgiving yourself, but... We're not made to run on our own power. We're made to get power from kind of an outside source. So we're not the best audience uh, for our own work. We're not the ones who call ourselves. Um, This is what uh, Tim Keller says in his book. He says, a job is a calling only if someone else calls you to do it. And you do it for them rather than for yourself. So our work can be a calling only if it's reimagined listen to this, I love this, a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. Your job, your calling, the stuff you do isn't just about your own interests. It's about serving the interests of others. Now, but that's a different thing than saying, right, that other people, other human beings are the main audience for your work. Because you have the same problem with other human beings that you have with yourself, right? Unrealistic standards, I mean, if you're working primarily for your boss or primarily for your wife so she won't think you're some kind of lazy slob or, or primarily for your neighbor so, you know, he'll think you're awesome because you could, you know, afford a new car or something like that. I'm making up scenarios right now as I, as I talk. But if, you're, if your audience is someone else, you have all the same problems. They're not good at forgiving you, right? They don't have the right standards. They can't actually empower you to do what's good. Only God is the audience who knows us perfectly, loves us perfectly, has the ability to forgive us perfectly, and through his spirit is able to empower us to actually change and do better. So uh, God, if you, uh, you know, hadn 't thought about it yet, it is the actual right audience for our work we, we as christians we 're called into work because our God is a God who works genesis one twenty eight God is uh, creating the world, and he calls Adam and Eve into uh, business with him and he says, "Hey, be fruitful, multiply, go, and cultivate the whole world go do work i 've been creating i 've been ordering." I've been naming things and separating them out. I want you to go be creative and order things and separate them and name them. So I want you to bring order and form and structure to things that were kind of wild and formless and void. That's what I want you to do. So I'm calling you into business with me. And so our concept of what kind of kinds of work have dignity and value comes from our concept of God, um, in Greek philosophy, they had this idea that, you know, you've probably seen pictures of the Greek gods. They're just kind of like sitting in clouds, and they're kind of like eating and drinking. Like they're just, it's like spring break for the Greek gods all the time. So they're not working. All they do is just kind of rest and eat and kind of sleep around and fight. So what do you think the Greeks thought about how, what kinds of work was good to do? Well, they, saw, they thought work was just a means to kind of rest, So you could be like the gods. So you could kind of eat and drink and sleep around and play. So work was just a means to play. What if, like some other philosophies in the world, like like Buddhism, for example, you have an idea that the physical world is evil, right? So uh, everything kind of in the physical world, everything that's related to kind of uh, the stuff of creation is kind of broken, is an illusion, isn't going to last. What's your Uh, view of work going to be? Well, the best work then in that kind of situation is mental work, right? Not physical work. It's kind of uh, like manual labor. You would never want to get involved in like physical stuff, right? Because the real good stuff is the non-physical stuff, the stuff that's kind of removed. So um, if you have that view of how God is, of how the universe operates, you're going to want to do like more mental work, more creative work, more kind of like spiritual, squishy stuff, not stuff that you can touch and see. But we don't have a view of God like that. Our God gets involved in the stuff of the world. In fact, he came to earth as a carpenter. Our God is a God who gets involved in manual labor, who gets involved in the mess of the world. So we have a God who brings dignity to all kinds of different work. Not only that, we have a God who is always working. That's what Jesus says. My Father is always working. So, just uh, if you have your Bible, look up to uh, Psalm 147, and we can look real quick at this God's jobs. What are the kind of things that God does? What would we think of as God's work? Now, one of the interesting things is in the Middle Ages, people had a kind of narrow idea of what God's work was. God's work was the stuff that monks do. It's the stuff that's kind of like related to preaching and uh, teaching. It's uh, praying. That's kind of God's work. And that's that's the real valuable stuff. So they had this kind of two-tiered view of vocation. So you could be like just an ordinary kind of like JV slob who does ordinary nine-to-five stuff. You could be like a farmer or a lawyer or a barrel maker, if your last name's Cooper, and or you could be kind of so, like a monk or a priest or something like that. And when Martin Luther came around, he realized that was all wrong. That way of thinking about how God had ordered the word, that, that way of thinking about what kinds of work has dignity and value was totally messed up. And he said, Psalm 47, 147 shows us why. Just w- look at this. Uh, in verses 12 and 14, this is what it says. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise the, your God, O Zion. For this is what God does. This is what God, kind of jobs God does. He strengthens, strengthens the bars of your gates. God blesses your children within you. God makes peace in your borders. God fills you with the finest of the wheat. Okay, this is God doing these things for his people. And so Martin Luther was uh, preaching about this, and he said, Okay, these are the kind of things that God does when he's at work in the world. By the way, he does this for believers and for non believers. This is the kind of stuff he does as just God when he's ruling the universe. Strengthens the bars of your gates. What kind of jobs strengthen bars of gates? I mean, if we had, you know, gates at the city of Wilmington, who would we call to go and do that? Okay, uh, construction people, uh, mining industry, you have to make the bars, city planning, uh, security. God's at work doing that. Um, Blesses your children within you. Okay, that's kind of uh, homemaking, education, education. you know, uh, making school books or something like that, Uh, you know, uh, making diapers, whatever, Uh, helping the children. Um, Makes peace in your borders. Okay, that's military, that's law enforcement, that's government. Uh, Fills you with the finest of the wheat. That's farmers, that's chefs, that's bakers, that's that's, uh, servers in restaurants. The lesson is that God is caring for the needs of the entire world, through the ordinary jobs of people like this. If you're wanting to ask, okay, how does God strengthen the bars of a city? Does God physically come down and go, oh, here, let me me work on the bars of the city? No, no, no. He calls human beings to get a paycheck to do something and accomplish a purpose that he's already decided he wants to see happen. The way Martin Luther talked about it is God wears a mask. He goes and he does the work through these people that are just doing their ordinary ordinary vocations that they've been called to do by him. Now, does the person who's uh, working on the bars of the city, does uh, the, the farmer, does the chef, do they have a conscious sense that, hey, I'm doing this because God's working through me? No, not all the time. But it doesn't matter. God's still using them, whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not. He's achieving his purposes through what they do. And so, uh, and then even Martin Luther says, uh, hey, let's, let's expand your thinking even more. Think about how God answers prayers when you pray for something like daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, which is what we prayed earlier. When you pray for your daily bread, you're not just praying for everything that contributes to having and enjoying your bread. This is what he says. Open up your minds for a second. Expand your thinking so it reaches not only as far as the flour bin and oven, but to the broad fields, the farmlands, the entire country that produces, processes, and conveys to us daily bread. So think about that. You passed a bread truck on the way here this morning. You passed Harris Teeter where someone was kind of uh, you know unloading stuff there or at a convenience store. That person was answering a prayer For daily bread for someone else. If you kind of open your mind to think about it that way, God's doing stuff all over the place, all the time. If we only had eyes to see it, Um, listen to this. Just just the daily bread prayer. Here's all the the kinds of people that are doing God's work to get the daily bread thing done. Farmer, baker, retailer. You own a bread store. Website programmer. I mean, you got to order your bread from somewhere, so we need uh, people to run a website, program a website. Packaging the bread. Uh, truck drivers, warehouse workers, power company. You got to keep the power on. You got to refrigerate the bread. You got to run the bread machines. Appliance inventor. You got to invent a bread machine or an oven. I guess is what people call it. Uh, appliance repair. You got to fix the oven when it uh, breaks. Dental care. You need teeth to enjoy bread. Physician, you have to be able to digest the bread. I mean, just that simple prayer. God, give us our daily bread. Provide for our physical needs. God's saying, yes, I will. And I'm going to use all these different people to do it. So what about your job? What about the thing that God has called you to do? Even let's say you're a student. How does what you're doing reflect God's activity in the world? How is it kind of a mask that he wears to go uh, be God in the world? Uh, One way to kind of think about it is to break it up this way. The way God leads the world is as the creator, the provider, and the redeemer. He's the creator. He's making stuff all the time, making stuff that wasn't there before. So is your job something where you make stuff that wasn't there before? Uh, are you in construction? Or are you in manufacturing? Uh, do you, through investment, create wealth that wasn't there before? Create jobs that weren't there before? Do you, through kind of management, uh, create structures and systems that weren't there before? Guess what? You're a creator. God's a creator. God's a provider. He helps people get stuff. Do you bring things to people that they couldn't get for themselves in what you do? Uh, that's what God does. He helps people get things. Um, Redeemer. Fixing, healing, protecting stuff. Are you a physician? Are you in law enforcement? Do you enforce justice in the world? That's part of God's redemptive work. So these are all the different kind of ways you can just look at it. You just slice it three different ways and say, okay, does what I do fit in one of these categories? So, The question we wanna ask then is if these are the kind of things that are the the why God has you where you are, then how can you do what God has called you to do effectively? How can you be good at the calling that God has called you to do? Well, the answer is that you wanna do it in service to God and in service to other people and out of love of God and love other people. So that's the calling. The calling is to work in service, and in love. And, and I, I think this is a really important point to make. You serve God's purposes in your work, whatever your work is, as a husband, as a, a son, as a student, as a parent, as a leader, not just by being good, not just by being morally good, right? But by being good at your work. This is what... Um, Dorothy Sayers says, she's this uh, writer who is good friends with C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually just telling him to not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. Meaning, hey, God's called you to be a carpenter. Just be a good person, be morally good. Don't get drunk, go to church on Sundays. This is what she says. What the church should be telling him is this. The very first demand his religion makes on him is that he should make good tables. Why? Because God actually called you to be a certain type of player on his team in the world. So do a good job at that. God needs people making tables in the world. That's why he made you a table maker, carpenter. So don't make shoddy tables. Right? Is there a Christian way to fix a pipe? I don't know. Do you bless it? Do you put holy water through it? What what do you do? Is there a Christian way to fix a pipe? Do it well. I mean, that's what you hope, right? You call a Christian plumber and you think, okay, maybe he'll talk about the Lord. Maybe he'll pray over my pipes. I don't know what, but you just want him to do a good job. (laughs) That's your hope, right? And you would hope that because he's a Christian, you could trust that he would do a good job. So, The very first thing God's calling you to do in your work, this is as someone who's called to a particular job, is just do your work as good as you can. Be good at it. You have a ministry of competence. That's what what he says. So this is, um, we're gonna watch a short video and then we'll be done, but this is what um, Paul says in Colossians, and I think this kind of sums it up. Whatever you do, meaning all kinds of callings, whatever you do, at home, at work, whatever you're going to go do today, all the different kind of hats that you're going to wear. Whatever you do, work heartily. Do it wholeheartedly. Do it well. Do it passionately. Don't just kind of throw boxes on the conveyor belt. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Who, are, who called us? God has called us. Christ has called us. What has he called us to do? Whatever he's put in front of you. <laughs> Even if it doesn't immediately seem like kind of holy work, it has dignity and value. God has called you to do it and to do it well for his glory. Um, I'm going to watch this brief video that I think explains more of what we talked about and then we'll ask some questions together.
1: that a lot of people have expectations of mechanics, that they're uh, swindlers, they, they're cheats, um, they fool people into doing things that don't need to be done. We're really trying uh, to change the whole feeling people have about mechanics, uh, that they are trustworthy, they do care about your car, they do care about you, they want it to be safe, they want it to be reliable. And, uh, and I hope we're accomplishing that in the way we treat people. Hi, it's a great morning here at Zaloom's. This is George, can I help you? When I became a Christian, I went into the pizza business and then um, into real estate. And while I was in real estate, I was doing deals all over the world. But then uh, everything fell apart and we lost everything. And um, the only thing I had left was a quilt, uh, a automotive business that I had started and I took over the business. And I was at church one day and a friend, a good friend of mine was introducing me to his father for the first time. And his father said to me, oh, you're the mechanic. And I looked at him and in my mind, I'm going international real estate, uh, money. (laughs) And then I just looked at him and I said, yes, I'm the mechanic. I started realizing This is where God has me right now. If something changed, something will change, but um, I've got to change my attitude. There's a purpose in being here. And as that purpose became more clear on uh, reaching people, talking to people, realizing that there was no separation, what I did at work and what I did at church were the same thing. I'm here to do His will, not my own. And not for my purpose, but for his. Um, so I really started liking it. So oh, my pleasure! Thank you. Have a great day. Keys are in it. Stickers on. You're all set to drive. So okay. God bless. There has to be joy in this. God promised joy. He didn't just promise it at home and at church. He didn't promise financial wealth, but he did promise joy. And if you can't find it eight hours a day, there's something wrong. And it may just be that you don't know to call on him. I need more than this. Lord, give me me joy. This is where God has me. You know, I could be in a prison in Iraq singing hymns unto the Lord because I was preaching the gospel, but I'm here. I, I love what I'm doing right now, and, and God has me here, and it provides a, uh, a benefit to people, and it's just working out well.